Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me, the podcast for parents of young children. And we want to share your stories and all those crazy, contradictory feelings that come with being a parent. We believe in you. You got this, even on the craziest of days. And you are most definitely not alone. Hey, listeners. The host of this podcast wants you to celebrate the messiness of life with kids. That means we don't need an expert to explain our kids to us. We just need to sit back so we can truly see, hear, and love our kids. My family has been lucky enough to attend B'nai Torah, where Karen's enthusiasm and joy for all aspects of parenting has been a breath of fresh air and always gives us hope that we can do it. Karen Deerwester believes that when we see, hear, and love the messy moments of life with kids, we're able to give our children everything they need. Karen has been a teacher, author, and a leader in early childhood education for decades. And there is nothing, nothing that doesn't make sense if we take time to connect with each child exactly where they are and right where we are with all of our messiness too. Here's today's podcast. Today's podcast is Kid Behavior, Family Behavior. I'm so excited to have a very special guest and longtime friend of Family Time here today for the podcast. I have Dr. Marnie Schneider, pediatric clinical neuropsychologist. And we're here to talk about all those children's behaviors that drive you crazy and also the things about those behaviors that drive you crazy. There's so much exciting research about brain development, learning, and relationship-based guidance, and we have lots to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I can't wait to hear from Marnie. So welcome, Marnie, mom and psychologist. She knows. I trust her. So, Marnie, where should we begin? Knowing what you know about helping children learn and grow. So I'm a big believer in the concept of living and learning and it going round in circles, meaning that you learn what you live, you live what you learn, and that's how children live their experiences. Okay, okay, that's so perfect. I need you to repeat it. So the circle of living what you learn, learning what you live, and it keeps going round. I see it actually in a circle the words. I I see it going around because you can't stop one from the other. And that means that us as parents, we bring to the table how we were brought up and it impacts how we bring up our children and it keeps going. And And each child brings something different to that circle. Oh, totally. Totally. And it sets off systems from your past, experiences you've had with your own family or witness, and challenges us as parents in different ways. It, I, it's true, it's true. That alone, we could just stop the podcast, but we will. So <laughs> given that circle, given that process, given that you're never finished learning and growing as parents, mm-hmm. teaching and guiding your children, adapting, tweaking, mm-hmm. what, what are the overarching principles that we can all trust like a mantra to like, your child's done something that just <laughs> throws you off the rails. Where do you begin getting into that circle of, of, of interaction? First, I would say, take a deep breath. Or take two deep breaths, because we're not sure at that moment what actually happened, and to respond to it in a quick fashion, 
would lose the moment where the parent can be truly effective as a teacher and we have no idea of where the child was coming from. So that's pretty big to actually not be hyper-reactive. Slow it down. Unless there's a God forbid emergency, of course. Right, because the brain's going to tell us when we go into quick reactions, mm-hmm. it's fight or flight. It is the amygdala. It is responsive. Correct. It is not the thoughtful. What is the consequence or what's the outcome of me responding this way? How will my child hear what I'm saying? Right. It, that's that amygdala response. That's those small structures in your brain. Um, for those of you who don't know, they're kind of behind your eyes, above your nose, and they're really the primitive part of your brain that does the flight, fight, or freeze. And with that, we don't want to respond with that kind of, of emotion and stress unless there's an emergency. Right, because your child can't hear you. Even if you're saying, if it's not a real emergency, but you're just like, stop that right now! But it's not an emergency. Your child's like, huh, what? I mean, it's very disorienting, especially to a young child. And depending on what they're doing, I'm not even sure they'll really hear you. That's right. That's okay. So if they're... How, explain how children can't hear something clear and obvious. Because their attention is focused only on their realm. And it's super cute. And it's with intention. You see it as a nine-month-old. They crawl. They stand up. They, they, they creep over and use the couch. And then they're dive-bombing on top of their brother. By the yes. way, that's how it happened in my house. And then, you know, the older one would say, get this baby off of me. But it, if I were just to yell. Be nice to your brother. Right. I would actually <laughs> miss the really super cute exchange. The get this baby off of me was actually said in fun. And my younger one, Ethan, he was actually just having fun. They were playing. But if you only respond quickly without seeing the setup and the situation, you're going to miss that moment. And there are so many moments like that. Every moment, almost every. Yeah. But who's got time to think before acting? And how do we learn to think? I mean, we, this is what we want to teach our children universally. Correct. Executive function. Right. Th- not necessarily think before acting, but think but thinking and feeling in some integrated, um, managing, self-managing way. That's the ultimate for all of us, is how do we learn to think, feel, and act right. in harmony? Yes. Okay. And unfortunately, I think that our technologically based society has us responding so quickly. I, I'm not perfect. I'm at, at fault as well. But there's no reason we have to answer every call. We need to be present in our moments, and that means being present with the kids because there are few moments in our lives that are truly emergencies that you have to drop everything. Most of life is really fun if you approach it that way. Imagine, Imagine learning that secret, everybody. That's, like, beautiful. Okay, so how... That's our goal. That's mm-hmm. as grown-ups and a gift to every child and every relationship in our life is mm-hmm. to be present um, and to have fun and to savor the the joy, the, the the authenticity, even if it's even if it's struggling emotions for some of our children. To be present when they're in emotional upheaval is still 
a beautiful, fabulous thing. Sure, because the next time they have that experience, we hope that that temper tantrum or the meltdown shrinks a little bit in time and that they can recover faster because they've learned something. And if we can help our kids self-regulate and learn about their own personal boundaries, it's only going to shrink so they can handle their own experiences so they're not adults throwing temper tantrums. Okay, so how do I want to be present as a mom? as a grown-up for the temper tantrum or the meltdown that's that tries to steer that from a place of an, a, a, the starting point that it's inevitable, that it's a given, that children mm-hmm. are going to have these, yes. to, to something that makes helps it to shrink and become manageable. So... I think the setup in parenting helps with that. And I and I always remember this example where I had a family, the mom kept telling me that their child kept spilling. Okay, kids spill, adults spill, but would become exacerbated because the spilling would continue to happen. And she did not like sippy cups or anything because that you know made the, the four-year-old feel like a baby. Okay, I understand. So if you're going to give your child a cup and they spill it, which is going to happen, your response to the spill is what's going to help deal with the next spill. So we really worked on, okay, it's going to happen. How do you respond to it? And that's a vulnerable moment right there. The child spills the milk. They look at you like, "Uh, am I in trouble? Because if you make the child feel they're in trouble, they're mi- you're missing what the actual moment is, that vulnerable moment where you could say, okay, yeah, you spilled it. Let's go clean it up. Because mm-hmm. it's not about yelling and getting into trouble. It's about what could you do differently? You're right. It was at the edge of the table. Next time, let's move it a little bit further in and keep paper towels near. And knowing that we're going to maybe go through days or weeks of spilling. That, yes. that, that we change our expectations. Sure. Okay, now what happens when you have that wonderful child that's in resistance mode and they know that you don't like spilling and so they look at you with a twinkle in the eye and they very slowly and deliberately pour, this, pour the liquid. And then you say you, you just chose to spill the, the milk or whatever and shows me you're not ready to have a cup without a lid. So when you are ready, come sit at the table. And give them the instruction of what you want them, the correct behavior, and the power, pretending the power is in their hands, but it's an expected behavior. When you're ready, I'll have a cup of milk for you at the table. And I know at some point you will be ready. Right. It's, it's also that holding the, the progress. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel that happens in everything. I always say it's like putting bumpers in the gutters. Mm-hmm. If I don't say you're going to fail or you are in failure permanently mode, then I can block off the, the gutters and say, when you're ready, it's here. Because I know we're going down. the We are moving towards success. It's just not on my timetable. It's on yours. Uh, that, but that's actually really an important statement about parent timetables. Development is amazing and fabulous and wonderful. And this normal span of what a child can do, let's say walking, for example, so that I gave you all an example of when my little one, who, by the way, is 13, <laughs> um, was cruising on the, by the couch at nine, around nine months. So walking it around a year is very typical. If that nine-month-old was really walking, they wouldn't be ready to understand the danger, not that a one-year-old is anyway, but if they're walking really late at 18 months, then that's late. 
but the span of what's typical is far. So if a parent thinks, oh, they should definitely be walking at one, well, that's not how the world works. And There's one area of development doesn't mean that the all the other areas of development, evaluating risk, right. um, anticipating danger, mm-hmm. remembering your rules and guidelines for me in this situation, it's the social, emotional, cognitive, and physical are never except for very short intermittent moments in perfect alignment. I think that happens at like age 30. (laughs) If then. Right. Well, now I have another question about timetable because it's a question that I get from parents all the time. So we have this parent timetable Mm -hmm. because they look at a child being successful at something. Mm -hmm. and, And so they're like, well, I have a right now to expect it because he knows He knows the rules. He knows what my expectations are. He can do it 10% of the time or 50% of the time or even 90% of the time. But those other times, there's something about that parent expectation that comes up against frustration with the child's timetable or choices. Oh, 100%. It made me think about... um and I know we've talked about potty training, how accidents happen. And to get angry because a trained kid had an accident because they got too into building their Legos. But even sometimes it's deliberate. Right, but the rea- how you react to it sets up how important it is. It's kind of like I visualize the parent's face as like a spotlight. And depending on how you shine your spotlight, will tell somebody how important the behavior is. Oh, I love it. I love that image. So explain different kinds of parent spotlights and how children feel in those spotlights. So for me as a mom, I really try and highlight the things that I thought went well, the things that I noticed that the boys, my two boys, were putting effort even if it didn't go well. And I try not to engage in behavior that's provocative. Um, and it's not just children, it's animals too. I mean, we have we have this dog, her name is Bear. Bear is, <laughs> yes, we have a dog named Bear and a turtle named Flamingo. That's a whole other conversation. But um, Bear is provocative. When she wants attention, she will do something provocative. She's five years old, yellow lab. So she actually knows how to open zippers. She will open up my purse and take things out and walk right by me just slowly with something hanging out of her mouth that's mine on purpose. Now, she wants me to chase her. That's provocative behavior. Our kids do the same thing. But if we change it and say, hey, come here, and I give her what she really needs, which is she wants me to pay attention to her, then I won't have as many zippers opened. Okay, I love every moment of this podcast. And if we're giving attention to what they really want. That's the key, the really want. And it's the need. I mean, Uh everything to me in life is how do we know what we need and help our children understand what they need so that Mm -hmm. we can actually effectively manage our world. But parents will say to me, but if I give them what they really want, I'm rewarding it. If I, so what's happened to me is I'll say, let's say you have a, a toddler who's mm-hmm. just learning to sit in public restaurants. And, and, 
And I'll say, well, you have some choices. You can go and practice having just dessert or appetizers. No, right. you're going to have a 15, 20-minute sit sure. where you are only focused on your child's skill building. You can go to a restaurant as a family, but knowing that you're, when your child has reached their peak and they've given you all that they've got and now comes the negative behavior, let's go take a walk sure. and come back and start again. And reset so that, and they're like, but they want me to leave the table. I want them to sit. And I'm like, but you're not rewarding the bad behavior. You're actually helping them take a break, regroup, and come back and try again. I'm in 100% agreement because none of us learn to sit for an hour at a time at age three. It, it is a a skill that we build to, okay, I need to settle, I should be present, okay, I can't get up, I want to get up. I mean, us adults want to get up. But let's go to bear. So what's the difference? And I, I mean, maybe it's obvious to everybody and I'm, I'm dwelling too much, but this idea, like, she's coming by you with her prance, like, oh, she is. chase me, chase me. You're not going to chase her. Correct. I call it flip the script. Now you take it on your terms. So it's not like, so so it's saying, like, let me rewrite this script mm -hmm. so that I can interact and respond. And it's like, but I know you want me, so I can respond giving you attention, but not doing it on the terms you've gave, you've given it to me. Sure. So I'll, I'll go into the toy box, I'll get a ball, and I'll start throwing it up right, I'll sit on the floor and I'll throw it up right in front of me. And all of a sudden, she's more interested in the new shiny object or yellow fuzzy ball. And I can get back the items that she has stolen from my pocketbook. And we've, <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but it's true. She does this. And I can rub her and play with her, which is what she really wanted. So two things. First one is, is it reasonable to have the expectation that you can stop her from taking something out of your pocketbook? Because parents are like, but she needs to learn how to not take the thing in the first place. But the reality is, bear is bear. And so when she wants attention, she knows in a very socially precocious way, is the yeah. way I would describe it if it was a two-year-old, yes. how to get your attention. There's no, with Bear versus another dog, <laughs> another dog, you could just say, I'm going to put my purse up. It's not for you. Don't touch it. Right. And, she, and, the, and they would get that. But Bear in particular is never going to not do the thing that drives you crazy. Not, it, not happening. So it's in the setup. So when I leave my bag in a space that she can access it, that's on me. And it happens sometimes because I don't always pay attention because that's life. We don't always remember and you have so many things on your own mind, the work-life balance and exercise and we have to be all of these things. And yes, sometimes the bag is left. It's and yes, on me. It is on me I as own the it. adult. I it's I I will at times get angry at my child or my pet for for calling my mistake. Mm -hmm. But it was or it but it was my oversight and I get to own that. Right, in the setup. In the setup. Now I have one more question about that uh, based on the the responding to the provocation. Mm -hmm. And that is, but I've got a mom or a dad or anyone who's mm -hmm. the, the child is coming by with the provocative behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm busy. 
I'm baking dinner. I'm taking care of a baby. I have to get out the door for school. All those millions of daily choices that now I have to, as the grown-up, evaluate. Should I stop every time there's a provocation? How, how do I choose whose needs need to be met in this pro- provocative moment? And that is tricky. And each moment ends up being like almost a little bit evaluated. When can you stop what you're doing? Or how can you redirect? Often I find at the dinner time when the children are, are being more rambunctious or they want your attention... It's looking for purpose as well. So, oh, Bud, can you help me? I really need. I I forgot this ingredient. I really could use your help. Kids like to be needed. They like having a, um, a job to do that they can succeed. So, can you please go get me that salad dressing, even if you don't need it? Right. So, when you don't have time to shift into children's worlds mm-hmm. and be present in their world, mm-hmm. and we try to incorporate that every day. Right. I mean, Magda Gerber used to say, be present during caregiving. Sure. Bathing, feeding, yes. sleeping, helping. Get, if we're only there when we have to be hands-on, if we're present at that time, you've done a lot of investment in being present rather than being distracted when you have to be available. Sure. But... So, so pay, pay, pay the piper so that you don't have to always make excuses for not being present. But now when, so if I hear you right with the get the salad dressing, it's if you can't stop everything that you're doing and join their world, you can say, I see you. Come help me with this. Because I need you and you're valued. I need you and you're valued. So come to my world. So it's not ignoring the prov- it's ignoring the provocation, but not the child. Correct. And that's changing the spotlight. Oh, that's back to the spotlight. Okay, so that was one spotlight. Mm-hmm. And that's a shining one. That is, I see you, I value you, you matter in my world, even when it's inconvenient. Correct. And we can even talk about why it's inconvenient sometimes as, as a child gets a little bit older. And you have to, in my opinion... Be clear, consistent, and predictable in your responses to behavior. And and if you can be that, then the rules become pretty easy to follow, even the non-written rules in your house, because you know exactly what's supposed to happen. And they're going to challenge you. They're supposed to. If you're clear, consistent, and predictable, Mm -hmm. it becomes... And I've heard Seth say this on his podcast on dads looking back on the early oh, years. Oh, my husband, yes. But he gave you credit. Mm. Um, what you're saying and what parents are sometimes skeptical of when I say it's easier than you think because it's not about managing the crisis. It's really what you do or the struggle or the mm-hmm. challenges. It's what you do from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed and how well you sleep and they sleep in between. Yes. <laughs> between morning, bedtime and morning. Right. So what, what you're saying, how does a parent, because it's a parent journey. Sure. You know, you think you're going to be this kind of parent. You think your child is going to be this kind of child. And then from those first baby stages to toddler stages to each of the, the sleepless nights, the first feedings, the potty training, mm-hmm. the attitude, the all of the developmental things that we know are going to come. 
-hmm. and helps shape who you are as a parent. You get to take that journey of who am I as so I can be consistent, predictable with myself and my partner. So I'm going to give you a really, um, I think it's a connecting example with two different age groups. I was the mom who, when the kids had play dates at the, at the playground, um, I wasn't playing with the children. If it was just me and my child, I would play. But if the kids are playing, the kids play. And mommies or mommies and daddies or whatever, caregivers are having their own play date conversations. And what that meant to me was, guys, you have to, you play on the equipment, you can manage. If it's too hard for you, we can either tackle it another time when it's just us, or you're not supposed to be playing on the equipment that's ages 8 to 12. What a great way to manage who needs who when. Right. Well, but now fast forward, and my almost 15-year-old so you can get your permit, license permit, your driver's permit down here just before you're 15 and you can't pick it up till you're 15. So I said to him, great, you do the research on the class. You're going to take the class yourself, right? And you, I will pay for it. And the joke was, hey, mom, are you going to sit with me while I take the test? Because apparently a lot of parents who play the games on the playground and do the things for their children are the same parents I now hear who are sitting and taking the permit test for their child. So I know. Um, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, just making like shock face here. But it's really the same thing. I mean, one is about a deadly weapon. I mean, a car is a very serious yeah. thing. But the idea is you, when you're ready, you're going to take the permit test and you're going to have done it well, so you're going to pass. And it starts on playgrounds. And it starts and on it the playgrounds. And it starts in everyday examples. But Correct. This, so I love this. I mean, I've never heard it expressed quite like this. I love this idea that there will be times when I'm here to help you, guide you, teach you. Mm-hmm. But there are times when I'm doing something else, and you can evaluate how much you want to participate in this action. And mm-hmm. I will trust you to make the right decision. And then I don't have to jump because you feel an urgent need. Mom, help. Mom, am I okay? Mom, this. I can look within, wait, and Mm -hmm. return to revisit what I need because you'll be there for me tomorrow, but not every time I click my fingers or feel frightened or feel hesitant or feel doubtful. The trust, Mm -hmm. the exploration... How much, that's, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant example. Thank you. And I just wish you could write a whole book on every, how many, how thousands of times you could do exactly that. Mm -hmm. Go find out for yourself, come back to me. Go find out for yourself, come back to me. Well, that's rapprochement. Yeah. That's what that is. That is the... You, you know when the kids, the toddlers, they go and then they fall, really young walkers, and they look back to check in if they're okay because they're unsure if they're okay. So how that parent or caregiver responds when that child falls will determine how often, will determine how much they cry. I've just heard on another podcast um, Esther Perel talk about how that experience in toddlerhood Mm -hmm. will shape the maturity of your lifelong adult relationships of security and adventure. 
that how... I think it repeats itself. It does repeat itself in so many ways. And when a child looks back and a parent needs the child to need them, the child will put someone else's needs above their own need for independence, mastery, and success. And it was, and so that letting go becomes so important, but it's a letting go with complete unconditional love and support. Right. And so, but it's a dance and parents, totally. it's so hard because you practice the dance at two months, at nine months, every, every day. At 15? At every age. Yes. So okay. it's over and over again, and therefore, if we come up with this idea of who we are and what we want for our children, slow it down in our response, it's much easier to be predictable and consistent. Okay. Um, and, and I do, I love this, it, and we can go back and repeat that first circle, but, but it's, I wish I had the magic wand. Because I can't, I don't get, we don't get to do therapy, you know, and everybody should get this support for themselves, for their relationships, for their families, their children. We'll put the link up to Marnie or any other favorite family therapist that can help you find this, this peace, calm, and identity within yourself. Because what, what you're saying is, if I know who I am, what I stand for, if I have this groundedness before I even try to interact. Tell me again how we get to who am I as a parent so that I can take, so I have space for the pause versus I want to be this kind of mom and I want to be this kind of dad and I want to respond and 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 and, and I have to do it this way and, and they have to have, sleep should be this way and potty training should be this way. The world is, is putting parents in a fishbowl of panic, um, grabbing it every possible response mm -hmm. and urgency and everything is life and death for if I don't respond well when my child is a baby and a toddler they're going to become an axe murderer and it's be, over definitely it's, it's over, over. <laughs> pack it up now you failed yeah let's talk about anxiety of what I don't know I'm capable of so to be really frank about it um, most of us turn out fine so chances are... We have a big leeway. There's a lot of yes, leeway. Right, just like that walking example. There's lots of time. And we can do things over and over again and make effort to make change or make effort for consistency. So our species is existing for okay, a reason. Okay, pause again. Make effort for change or make effort for consistency. Yeah. It's, the, it's that. There's the circle. Mm -hmm. Every day you just keep... Trying every day, you embrace yourself. Sure, learning, growing. Of course, and, and and so I'm a pretty structured parent. And as my parents were laughing at me when my kids were young, because if we were to go away, my husband and I, and leave our two boys who are less than two years apart with my parents for a few days, I had an oak tag <laughs> with the schedule, and I had each outfit in its separate uh, public bag where to make it easier for them. Yeah. Okay, so I just made it clear, consistent, that the schedule is what it is. They would laugh at me, okay? But what ends up happening now is that my older kids, my kids who are um, 13 and almost 15, they're 
pretty self-sufficient because they've learned how to manage certain things, how to ma- how to make it happen. So that when my older son now is in Boston and with some friends through camp on a, a separate tour and these children need to figure out where to have dinner, he knows I'm going to Google it. I'll make a reservation on open table and we're good because I've started with simple structure something that's repeatable, giving them confidence. Okay, you know which bag is your Monday bag. Go ahead, grab Monday. So they could get themselves dressed. Yeah. It makes my parent made my parents' lives easier, but now I have a 15-year-old who is self-sufficient. So, not that he doesn't need me. Exactly. So knowing that everyone's not as structured, right. explain how, um, how important structure is for young children and so, children growing. Without a doubt. So I, whenever a parent questions me on being, oh, I can't be that structured. Kids don't need that. I ask them to remind me about their the children's preschool day, what happens, and about going in the next time and looking around for their classroom schedule. Because every school has it. And there's a reason. Because when something is clear, consistent, and predictable, it makes it less stressful on the children, and they could blossom and shine for who they really are without having to worry at all about what's happening next. Because the worry is real for kids. The worry is real. The worry is real. And do you hear from parents using psych phrases like, he has anxiety, he's OCD. Help us explain what's normal in terms of children wanting structure and, and predictability and routine that isn't going to make them debilitating <laughs> as adults. <laughs> that pre, the preschool schedule, which has happened for many years, is an easy way to say, okay, my kids as well with structure. Okay, actually, most children, ninety nine percent of children, do well with structure. So if I keep things structured, I know that it's going to work out well yeah. because that's the that's the model. It yeah. it works. Anxiety, true and anxiety disorders, occur in a very small percentage of the population. And when it does, it's very challenging for a family. But most people, 95%, I think, something around that, do not have clinical anxiety. But we all have moments that make us feel a little anxious. That's normal. But it's the same thing with, oh, they're feeling depressed well, no, they don't have depression. You're allowed to feel sad. You're allowed to feel deflated or disappointed. There's lots of feelings. And especially when life is changing for a child. If it's new school year, if it's new sibling, if it's moving, if it's traveling. It's, bodies changing. Their bodies are changing. It's, always, it's disequilibrium, equilibrium, disequilibrium, equilibrium. And so when that happens, it's not depression. It's not this terrible worry. It's an expression of what their needs are. Help me understand. I'm confused. And I might be confused. Let's say there's a new baby. I might be a little uncertain. How is this changing my world? But that's a legitimate, honest confusion that can be held and embraced. Yes. And most people go through life without having a clinical diagnosis. But our society does say everybody has anxiety, everybody has depression, everybody's bipolar, everybody has a special need. And so the slippery slope of that is that parents can become 
um, uncomfortable when their children feel the whole spectrum of emotions because our society says, no, 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 that, that, that emotion is going to take you into a dark hole. Right. Where in reality, sadness, anger, frustration, impatience, all of those complicating emotions, those challenging emotions are real and need to be part of our daily family lives as they arise in normal ways. And learning how to f- handle them, that they shouldn't be swept away. It's okay that learning to tie your shoes is hard. That it's actually really great. I know it's hard. Or learning to ride a bike, that's another one. It, it's not going to come day one. It's very okay, very rarely it comes day one. There's practice makes progress. Okay, so before we get to our wrap up, just a, a one last thing on how to face down the cha- the hard stuff both for parent and and the skills to for your child. So again, I would go back to before you respond, take your deep breath and say, is this really an emergency? Am I in danger? Is my child in danger? No? Okay. Because chances are you're not in danger. Take a moment and say, what's actually really going on? So like I had said in the beginning, if it was just get this baby off of me and I didn't think about what the whole big thing was, I I would have missed the, the true experience. Yeah. So. What's going on? Why did your child paint the TV orange? Yeah. I don't know. Why don't we find out? Hey, you know, we're, we don't really paint the TV, but what you, what were you thinking? And if a child's too young to express it, how does a parent observe? Right. So you try and, try and decode with your magic decoder ring, and then you shift them. I see you like painting, which is terrific. Let's clean this up, and here's an easel. It doesn't. Ha- you don't have to have a big why. No. It's but a magic decoder ring is given to every parent if they pause. If they pause and want to take a look at the moment, again, if nobody's in danger. And and let's talk about not life and death danger, but a child in. And I'm going to exact. I, mean, I think it's an exaggerated word that I don't know that you and I would um, use, but I think a parent might use. A child is in distress. A child who's going to ready to start a new school year. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. The that that the the not a just an oppositional resistance, but a emotional distressful resistance. How can a parent hold that for a child? So with those experiences and I've had them with many kids in my practice, what we do is acknowledge that, you know, change is kind of scary or upsetting or uncomfortable but you know what we'll get through it together and we remind them and then we purposefully do things like oh I have to go to the school to drop off a paper it doesn't matter if you really don't you go and you expose so you're demystifying what the scary is so you do even if it's like oh I'm going to go to the bookstore or I have to go to the library where where I need to drop they've asked for a volunteer and we're running errands I just want to run over Right. It's not about you. I'm not pushing no. you somewhere where you don't want to go, but come join. But I need you to come along with me while I tiptoe into the mm-hmm. edge of a situation that makes you uncomfortable, but I'm doing it. Right, And then it makes the child feel less uncomfortable yeah. because there's been some exposure in a non-threatening way for in them. In a non-threatening way. I, we, you know we could do this forever. You could become a regular. You I should have it. your own podcast. She's oh, brilliant. Dr. Marnie E.E. Yes. Schneider in Boca. I'll put up her website on, our, on when I post all of this. Marnie, what's your wrap-up? 
how have you got this, either as a therapist or as a parent, um, child behavior, parent behavior, um, for right here, right now? I would say before responding, check in with yourself to see what bells and whistles are going off for you before you put those on to your kid and understand that you're going to make mistakes. Everybody does. And chances are it's going to work out okay. Yes. Thank you so much. I love this. You're welcome. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing. If you liked our podcast, please tell a friend. Or even better, write us a review at iTunes. We'd also like to invite you to join us on Facebook. That's with me, Karen Deerwester. And check out the parenting resources at FamilyTimeInc.com. You'll also find us on Twitter at at FamilyTimeInc and Instagram at Karen underscore FamilyTime. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this wonderful space. Thanks to Darren Littman for the great intro. And thanks to The Front and The Follow for the song Listen. We are listening. See you next week.